Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. Our listeners have made our show the success that it is. It's because we are right here every week at this time, on this day, on this station, 1180 WFYL AM radio, with fast-paced, effective discussion and the truth coming at you at the speed of sound. Our thanks to all of you in Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley, for making this happen. So let's get set and buckle our seatbelts for some fast-paced factual discussion. And of course, my expert opinion coming at you at the speed of sound. So get ready to catch on to the distinct, compelling discussion only heard right here on this guidepost for all truth seekers everywhere. So here we go. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the Constitution and how the Constitution is going to decimate the deep state and the globalist end America Democrats and their attempt, and of course the end America uh, globalists around the world uh, that want to end America. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna show we're gonna talk about how the Constitution is gonna decimate their their attempt at that. Trump has a wild card in the deck, of course. I believe the wild card is the Mike Pence card. Okay. Now, uh, let me get into that and and explain where I'm going with that. Pursuant to Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1, and the 12th Amendment under Article 7 of the Constitution, Pence could decide, okay, this this case in front of his, you know, as the Senate leader, as the president of the Senate. Okay. Uh, because basically he can determine that he has not received any certificates of actual appointed electors because of fraud and further request of the Secretary of State to uh, to send something to him. In other words, have another election or something like that. But whatever the case is, he can determine that he is not going to ex- re- uh, that he has not received any of these certificates of actual appointed electors, okay, because of the fraud and because of these states operating outside of their own election laws. And he can do this, you know, on January 6th. Now, since Pence will, uh, I mean, I, you know, like I said, because I, I don't believe these states are going to have second elections. I don't believe they're going to be doing this. I think it's going to come right down to Pence because he's going to be the sole purveyor of all of this as the president of the Senate, and again, utilizing the constitutional rules, he's going to be able to make this determination. Okay. And again, these states operated outside of their own election laws. Okay. And all states, according to the Constitution, require that there's elect that their electors be appointed by honest and fair elections. And we do clearly have an overwhelming preponderance of evidence of fraud in these particular states, and we we have more than that. We have factual documentation evidence. Of course, we have that of of the fraud as well. But we actually have the admissions of guilt, if you will, uh, from uh, state officials for uh, not you know for basically changing the rules and going outside and operating this election outside their election laws. Now, what this will do when Pence does this on January sixth is it's going to shift the burden of proof to the Biden campaign to show that the elections were not fraudulent. Okay, now, I think also with SCOTUS not hearing, the Supreme Court of the United States not hearing and not addressing the issue, 
and there's simply not being enough time to hold any elections by January 6th, Trump is going to win the majority of the appointed electors. electors. So there's going to be actual electors there that we do have, and, and he'll, he has the lead on that. I mean, when you take out the, uh, the contested states. So pursuant to the Constitution, Pence will open up all the certificates, the papers and the votes, and they're all going to be open on the 6th um, and handed to the congressional tellers and counted up under normal procedures, which will give Trump the majority of the delegates. Now, this is where I think the fistfight's going to begin. Okay, because, uh, again, this, as pursuant to the Constitution, the majority of the certificates from the elections that followed state law were going to go, are going to go to Trump, which means that they're going to be having an issue with those that haven't followed state law and uh, pursuant to uh, Article 2, the 12th Amendment of Article 2. And, you know, it comes down to what I think is interesting on this. Last week, I talked about the picture that was behind Hillary Clinton. I should say the selfie that she took when she was throwing her congratulations to Joe Biden. She threw her her congratulations to Biden. She's got a little selfie tweet up there and she's got herself standing in front of her mantle in her house. And behind her is a clock on the mantle with the time 1210. And we talked about here on this show how I believe that could have been a sign by, by God, because when you go, when you look at the number 1210 or the time 1210 and you compare it to the 12th Amendment under Article 2 and line 10 of that amendment, you see where a contingent election is described in the article. So this could very well be a sign from God, a harbinger, if you will, of things to come for a contingent election. So we have to keep the faith, folks. I mean, Pence is a fighter and Pence is a man of faith and Pence I mean, he can, according to law, because he's the president of the Senate, he can refuse to accept the electors from the states where the election results weren't trusted, again, to an overwhelming preponderance of evidence of fraud. But in addition to the fact that these same states conducted, factually conducted their elections, violating their own election laws, that could be a very strong reason. And of course, people ask, so now what will happen is, well, of course, there'll be a challenge again within the Senate and the, and the House, because at that point, you're going to see uh, a senator and, and a congressman agree, and then you're going to see the senators carted off real quickly to the Senate chambers, and you're going to have the House, because they're going to be in the House, and they're going to see a real a real fistfight. Now, this could, I mean, you know, proverbial. I mean, this will be one of those uh, legislative fistfights, but it's going to actually go as well to where I think Biden will just appeal this right to the Supreme Court of the United States, and I could just hear the conservative justices saying, no, no, we don't want to be political here. Let's let them hash it out. You know, the kind of the same comments that were coming out because of the, uh, you know, John Roberts comments, you know, well, we don't want to hear this. We don't want to, we don't want to adhere to the, to the rule of law here. Now, if they do hear it, it's going to come right down to rule of law anyway. It's going to come right down to the rule of law anyway. The constitution is very clear on that. The constitution is very clear that when you don't follow the letter of the law, pertaining to election laws, but any law. I mean, when you break the law, you become a lawbreaker. And the Constitution is pretty clear that the assemblies established this, and uh, they have the overall authority here, the absolute authority here, okay, to determine all of this. And I think Trump is, is, is basically going to make sure that these state assemblies understand their rules. And uh, he's, I mean, they, they have the power in their hands. What's interesting is that the election itself is 
is the is the motor is is the engine, if you will, that drives the state assemblies to do their job. The state assemblies are the ones that pick the electors, not the people of the nation. That's a very interesting thing here. Now, of course, they all default and say the majority of the votes will rule and the electors will always honor the majority of the votes. But that's not the Constitution. The Constitution basically comes right out and says the state assemblies pick these electors. They define their own state of their own laws. So if by chance there's major cheating going on or if by chance some um, some wacko judge, see the founding fathers had the foresight to know that you might have some flag burning activists, I guess, as, uh, you know, state Supreme Court justices or maybe elected governors or elected attorney generals like, you know, like we have here in Pennsylvania, where they're going to do their own thing. They're going to break their they're going to break the state laws and they're going to use COVID as their cover for doing it and their excuse for it. Well, folks, a pandemic does not suspend the rule of law and a pandemic does not suspend our civil rights. And these uh, these activist flag burning uh, individuals are going to get a lesson in civics. I, I, I hope and pray that that's what happens. I think SCOTUS, though, is is going to uh, probably likely have to weigh in on this. And they will. And, 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 and they'll likely uh, it's going to because the Constitution is going to be the application here. And the con- see, one thing the Constitution is very specific on. It's very, very specific on how presidents are elected. The Constitution is not very specific on a lot of things, believe me. And that's where these courts and these flag-burning activists have had their successes over the, all the course of all these years, especially over the course of the last 70, 60, 70 years, and um, basically overturning traditional uh, understanding of laws. I mean, it, what's interesting is that the, when a law is written and passed, out of the assembly and out of this, out of the, you know, out of the different assemblies are voted on. And then it goes to the executive branch where the governor signs off and it becomes law. And if it's challenged, if it's challenged, it goes to the Supreme court of the state or national, but certainly the state and the state Supreme court decides whether or not it's constitutional or not, but they only weigh in when it's challenged. So laws are basically passed the way they're passed. So, but what's interesting is that the activist, uh, legislatures, if you will, and the activist uh, governors that are out there, they will find people within the community to to take this to court. Sometimes they do it themselves, but then they also press this to what they hope are activist judges that are on the Supreme Courts. So then you have these flag burners that are actually not looking at the letter of the law to understand and say, well, this is obviously what it is, but they're looking to see what's not written so they can make a claim that it's something else. And I'll give you a prime example of that. Prime example of that. We're talking about Act 77 here in Pennsylvania. Act 77 in Pennsylvania uh, was, a, was a mess, okay? But, but one thing it is, it, one thing it did was it took the absentee ballot system that was very strict in its guidelines. It said you, you had to have reasons to request an absentee in Pennsylvania. And then, of course, it had the chain of custody defined in that process. Well, they took that and they basically extended it to anyone without a reason, with or without a reason. You just make a request for it. Now, I've actually, uh, I've, I've talked to people who have said that it, it was their understanding that it was written in this law that mail-in ballots do not require signatures verification. And I'm very quick to remind them, well, <clears throat> does it say that? I mean, I asked the question, does it actually say that in Acts 77? And you'll see if you read it, it does not say that. It doesn't say that. So 
you have to understand the absentee rule. So you're still verifying signatures for absentee ballots, according to these people, but you don't for mail-in ballots. And, well, where does that come from? Where does that understanding come from? Well, the state Supreme Court said it. And of course, some legal some legal uh, flag burners, some of our, our flag burning uh, attorney general and our end Pennsylvania governor took this to the end Pennsylvania uh, Supreme Court, state Supreme Court. And they all said, well, what's why don't we do this? Why don't we differ? Why don't we separate what an absentee ballot is and create our own thing called a mail in ballot? And so that's what they did. So they basically said absentee ballots are different and mail in ballots are what applies here. And mail-in ballots, because they're not addressed in this law, there's a lot of vague language uh, in the law that absentee ballots don't require signatures because we're going to say that. Well, folks, that's not in the law, okay? And I had this discussion with some people, and I basically said, look, I said, when you're not at the precinct voting, you are by definition in absentia. You're voting in absentia. You're voting and you're not absent. You You are absent the precinct and you're voting and absentia. So if you're voting in absentia, you are by definition using an absentee ballot. Plain and simple. So our system is a mail-in ballot system based on the absentee ballots. I mean, that's what they are. You're either voting in person or you're voting in absentee in Pennsylvania. You're not voting in person or you're not voting in absentee. There's no third option. There's no, well, we have a mail-in option too. <laughs> no, the absentee ballot is the mail-in option. If you're not going to be present at the precinct and you request a ballot that you then become an absentee ballot mailing it in. I'm amazed at how people have legislated from the bench, but that's the way these activists work. So you have some activist judges and some activist attorney generals like the one we have here in Pennsylvania. And of course, the brainless secretary of state and governor that are out there declaring that we can say that there's some double standard here. We don't, we, we can just say, well, we don't have to adhere to that rule because these aren't really absentee ballots. These are mail-in ballots, and we have the judges on Pennsylvania Supreme Court that are going to support this twisted logic, okay? They're going to support our twisted theory on what an absentee ballot and a mail-in ballot is, the two differences. There is no differences, but whatever the case is, the courts took the side of the, of the, of the, of the radical flag burners, and we have this problem in Pennsylvania. Well, we didn't operate our election laws within the uh, within the laws of Pennsylvania because the state legislature did not approve of these things. In other words, we they didn't remove the signature verification for absentee ballots. But even if you take that question out, just take that question out because the flag burners want to, you know, they want to they want to focus on that. So all right, let's not discuss the absentee versus mail-in ballot, you know, question. To me, there's no discussion. But whatever, take that question, put it aside. Let's talk about where in Act 77 does it talk about drop boxes? Because I missed that one. Okay, where counties can have drop boxes. Or counties can have drop boxes set up at satellite offices where people can take their their ballots to, to certain places that are not, you know, that are not, you know, city hall. Okay. Folks, I mean, or the, or the county elections board offices or something like that. And in other words, you're taking it to, to satellite offices that they set up in these counties. Where was that in Act 77? It wasn't. Certainly drop boxes were not there. Where where was all of that? So they created their own laws there and they also ended up extending the deadline. Well, the uh, Sam Alito had sent a, a an order to the Secretary of State Bookvar here 
in Pennsylvania to separate those ballots. And uh, she failed to do so and, and other things. And she failed to comply with the letter of the direction, the court order. So she defied the court orders. OK, that in and of itself is against the law. I, I can't imagine that anybody in Pennsylvania would have a problem uh, not certifying them. Not, in other words, having our state assembly send a second set of electors because our secretary of state divided, defied court orders, as well as the state of uh, the state governor and the state Supreme Court and the secretary of state and the attorney general all allow the operation and the conduction of an election outside the written law of the assembly. Anyway, notwithstanding, that's what we're talking about in Pennsylvania. And I wanted to spell that out because that that is what the difference is. An activist flag burning judge and lawmakers see they're looking for ways around the written law. A conservative looks at the written law. And that's where I wanted to go with that. And these constitutionalists on the Supreme Court are likely to see the written law because the Constitution is very clear and specific on how presidents are elected. So that's the good news. Keep the faith, folks. Keep the faith. Right will prevail. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about lawbreakers <laughs> and, and, and is fraud, is election fraud committed by honest people <laughs> or is it committed by criminals? OK, now, look, lawbreakers are truly the enemies of every decent law abiding citizen. Make no mistake about it. Now, election fraud, folks, is a crime and these lawbreakers need to be brought to justice. Now, in Georgia, we saw the. Uh, the, the you remember the we all remember the video in Georgia and Fulton County in the counting room there where they had the phony uh, water main break and they evacuated all the Republicans out of the building and they kept a handful of people around, including one particular woman that was seen off of the purple shirt up in the video. If you look at the video and of course, then they started pulling out these trays of ballots under the table and they you know, from under the tables, they brought them out. And I believe there were. Uh, Four of these trays brought out, they estimated because they know what goes in the trays, that there's about 5,000 in each tray. So they brought out, why don't we just say for numbers sake, 20,000 ballots that were likely 99% for Biden. But anyway, they brought them out. They weren't in envelopes. They were just there. Okay. They were, here's the ballots. And you could see the woman in purple and she's just keying them all in, keying everything in, keying them all in. You could see her keying them in. And then you see later in a different video how that woman and her daughter or that woman's daughter was, in, you know, they're sitting there together and that, and her daughter actually palmed a USB drive. I mean, she palmed it. She stole it. And she issued, I mean, what, and they basically, I mean, what were they doing with that? I mean, obviously they're looking to change votes. So this was election fraud. They got arrested. Okay. We know that happened in Georgia. So with this Georgia recount, I thought was interesting on this Georgia recount. And the reason I, I, I shifted gears here, and I appreciate our listeners keeping up with us here, but the reason I shifted gears on this Georgia recount is because what's happening right now is they're seemingly avoiding Fulton County. The University of Georgia is going to give all, you know, going to have, have all these forensic signature experts are going to match the signatures in counties where they, where they weren't trying to commit fraud. I guess they're singling out counties that they'll do spot checks on the ballots. And so Trump said, get into Fulton County. Well, they're not going there. Okay, they're slow walking this whole thing. My guess is they're trying to delay, delay, delay. Uh, they're not trying to, they're not trying to have an honest election here, folks. They're really not. I mean, now they're discussing how they're going to do the Senate race in January 5th. And what's interesting is they're talking about that. 
And I think what's 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 interesting on this is to talk about how they're going to do different things. They're going to do things differently with this election to maintain the integrity of the election. Folks, I mean, look, I'm not talking about the Senate race. I'm talking about the president race, and they should be talking about the president's race as well. I mean, I'm glad they're going to do something different with the Senate race, but by gum, by golly, they need to be getting this right with these signatures. And if they're doing an actual signature verification, it's real simple. Okay, if you've got, just say for numbers sake, you got a million absentee ballots that you counted, that you counted as ballots, that you counted as votes, a million of them. Well, if you only find envelopes for 700,000 of them, then you have to realize that, that there's there's a likelihood that 300,000 were fake votes. Now, if you've already thrown away the envelopes, then, then what do you where are the signatures coming from? Where's the verification coming from? You see, what happens is once you separate the ballot out of the envelope, you don't have a signature anymore. The, the signature's on the envelope. So when they separate the envelope and the ballot, there's basically there's no more verification. The chain of custody right there was verified by observers <clears throat> or it wasn't verified by observers. And at that point, then the ballot becomes counted as a ballot, as a vote rather, or is, is counted as an illegal vote and thrown away. So I don't know what they're verifying. They obviously have some envelopes. And the reason they're not verifying, I believe, in Fulton County is probably because they don't have any signature envelopes in Fulton County to verify signatures on. Just my guess. They also know they have videotape of the actual ballots coming out from under the tables after the phony fire drill, the phony water main break. And they saw these being counted by the woman in purple. And, you know, they're in there just typing in, you know, she's counting all the ballots. And they weren't in envelopes. There were no signature envelopes, folks. You could see this on the video. So this is kind of like the evidence-based proof that a judge would say, I rest my, or I should say a prosecuting attorney would say, I rest my case, Your Honor. Prosecution rests. Because quite frankly, a picture speaks a thousand words and a video speaks 10,000 words. I mean, you can't miss it, okay? I would submit, folks, that that's where we're at on that. But but I want you to understand, and the, and the reason I brought this out is we actually have, see, election fraud is, it's, it's like a weapon of war used against, used by all end America forces everywhere in the world. And that could be elected officials here that have their own selfish interests in place and not the, not the nation. See, a globalist by definition, and again, the people that cheated in this election are not America first people. They're not. There are people that wanted to take out the America first president and replace this president with someone that was a more of a globalist. What's interesting, and I want to basically remind all of our listeners here what a globalist, a globalist is someone who, quite frankly, has no nation allegiance anymore. There's no there's no nation allegiance. There's no country allegiance. There's no allegiance to a particular constitution. There is no allegiance to anyone but themselves. See, a globalist is a globalist because they're making money off of their globalist investments, okay? And you look at Davos, look no further than Davos. I mean, the people that were in Davos were lauding, lauding the, the Chinese premier there, the Communist Party premier. They were lauding this guy as something very special, okay? I mean, they, they were basically lauding this guy as a great visionary saying, you know, that, that, that he was a global leader of peace. 
And then she's out there talking about this. And he says, look, you're all going to make a lot of money and we're all happy about this. But what, what are we going to do about these America first people? <laughs> what are we going to do about these guys? You see, I've said this before. You've heard it on this show. I mean, I, I believe that this, this, this really is a battle between Americanism, nationalism, America first and globalism. That's where this is coming down. But whatever the case is, when, when election fraud is overlooked it's, and diminished, it's usually overlooked and diminished by globalists or, or end the country, in this case, America, end the country uh, candidates, people that want to. They have other interests than the interests of their country and their constitution, and their people. Now, we can't overlook fraud. We can't diminish it. But the media has done exactly that. They blacked it out. And the Democrats are denying it. They've. They've, they've evaporated people off of social media, not to mention blocking them. Folks, they are enemies of this country, our traditions and our people and our way of life. I mean, and, and if we don't do anything on this, if we overlook the, the fraud, then we're, we're giving in to the people that are cheating. And these cheaters, as I said, are going to be free to use this weapon of fraud again and again. You know, again, the people that are committing election fraud are doing this because they don't have an allegiance to this country. And I, I'm going to say that again, because I don't want our listeners to, to miss that that very distinct point. OK, I call them. I mean, again, they're, they're, they're people that are that are committing fraud um, are people that are generally looking to cheat their way into power and their and their 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 eagerness to get power through by any means necessary Generally, uh, these people are motivated by by evil uh, evil motives, so don't miss that. Okay, I mean you've got your bureaucrats, your politicians, and then you have your public servants. And I want to make no mistake on this. I mean, a bureaucrat, a, a bureaucrat, if you will, a politician is someone that is not committed to any any kind of. They have no real passion or commitment to to. To, to anything, really. I mean, when you listen to them and you ask them, I mean, what is your most, when you, when you ask some politicians, you say, what is your most important, what's your number one issue that drives you? I mean, what are you convicted on the most? When they hem and haw and can't give you a specific answer on it, that's usually indicative that they're, that they're a bureaucrat. People that are driven, like if you were to ask me and say, what's my number one issue? You know, and um, on the platform of the Republican Party, okay, on the platform of the party, what's my number one issue? I mean, friends of mine, their number one issue is Second Amendment rights. Uh, friends of mine, their number one issues are you know things like you know uh, the right to life, things like that. I mean, I mean, those are very big issues to me. I mean, they are. But I mean, the one thing that I speak most passionately about is education and Common Core and how Common Core has ruined this country. And of course, how these Confucius Institutes are ruining the, uh, uh, corrupting our, our, our children's psyche that are coming out of our universities. That to me is the biggest issue for me. I mean, I speak the most passionately about that. I mean, when our kids don't know how to multiply fractions, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's really sad. And I think when they can't do basic math, then they're, then they're, then they're, they are, they are basically detaching from problem solving, and that becomes a bigger problem. But of course, all these other issues are important. But a, but but when you're speaking to a lawmaker who's a convicted, I should say, committed and 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 have conviction to a cause, and that's what I mean when I say convicted, conviction to a cause, you know it because you can hear it in the way they talk to you. 
when they don't have any conviction, when they lack conviction and they lack commitment, you can hear that too in the way they can't speak on any issues for too long. See, a, a true politician, a true, a true bureaucrat is like a chameleon. They can do different things. They, they kind of blend in with the scenery. They, they talk to different people in different ways. They'll find someone that, you know, and they'll talk to them a little bit and they'll try to figure out where this person's coming from politically so that they know how to talk to that person. And they have a different tone with a different other, you know, with another person. It's just the way it's the way they do business. I mean, a, a politician, a bureaucrat, their business is trying to figure out and read people so they can speak policy to different people and try to speak with that person on those significant issues with that person. But a public servant is, I mean, you know when they are because they're not in it for the money. As with Donald Trump, Donald Trump donated his entire paycheck, okay, uh, as president. I mean, he, he went into this and he made no money as president, okay? Donald Trump is not a globalist because he, you know, he that's not the way they made their money in, in his building industry. He just didn't. He's committed to this country and that's why he ran for president, Okay. But what I what bothers me, and again, on all of this, is that the governors, our state representatives, our state senators, our congressmen, our judges, our district attorneys, all of them, they're all are they're all secret, they're all guardians of of the rule of law. That's who they are. They're, they're guardians of the rule of law. And when these elected lawmakers and guardians, if you will, of the rule of law, when they cover themselves in a cloak of respectability. They do this to overlook and diminish the crime of fraud. They're doing this. I, I mean, and again, this stands right out. It stands out like a like a bagel and a plate full of grits. I mean, it just you can't you can't miss it. Okay, I mean, they do it through denial or they do it through media blackouts. But whatever they do, however they do it, they do it, and when they do it, they become willing accomplices, folks, to the crime of election fraud, and that's what I don't want to miss. I don't. I mean, I want to make sure I'm, I'm abundantly clear to our very expert listeners here. Okay, when when they don't move on the the crime of fraud, and when they overlook it, or when they change the when they change the the goalposts, if you will, of the threshold for defining fraud. And I mean, I've talked to people. I mean, I look, I people are a little, you know, they're they're, they're trying to figure out where I stand on some of this stuff because I'm a I'm the Republican Party chairman in Berks County. So there's a lot to be said that they, they, people want to know where I stand on stuff, but make no mistake. I, I, I do this show and I put this out in, in my, my emails and so forth, because I want people to understand where I stand on it because it's important. This is a psycho psychological operations warfare is what we're doing here. And I'm out here trying to inform our people and Trump's people, if you will, and the guardians of truth, justice in the American way, if you will, the Americans, the America first people at, that are in our audience today, I'm, I'm not, not only trying to encourage them, but I'm also letting them know why we stand on what we stand on and why we, why I feel the way I feel about where this election is actually going to go. Because the hands, because the power really is in the hands of our state assemblies. And I mean, they have the absolute power to pick the electors. It's constitutional. Okay. So our Supreme Court our SCOTUS, if you will, or the Supreme Court of the United States, has by 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 their 
by their becoming an observer, if you will, they've made this the most powerful institution with their inaction. It's amazing. You know, Abe Lincoln one time said that America is going to be defeated. If it's going to be defeated, it's going to be defeated from within. To take over our country, the end America left first has, they first have to, they had to, and they did, infiltrate our education system. Okay. I mean, we have in our universities, as I talked about, I mean, what we're doing is we have the Confucius Institutes, but we also have the teaching in our schools that America is not great, that our founding was not, what was an event in history that was not div- divinely inspired. Okay. I mean, again, look no further than the Mayflower, Mayflower Compact, folks. The Mayflower, the Mayflower Compact defines why we came, why the, why the people came here to found this country, to find this country, discover this country, and to settle here. I mean, but you have these end America leftists in our universities trying to instill the, the notion that our founders wanted to expand slavery and expand oppression. That's there's nothing further from the truth. Look at the Mayflower, the Mayflower Compact, and see for yourself. Look, folks, by their saying this, whether it's substantiated or not, because it's not substantiated, but by their saying this, they're getting into the heads of our young people and they're diminishing the significance or a national, the, the national opinion in our young people of ourselves. Now that's going on. Then we have the Chinese infiltrating with their with their Confucius Institutes. And, and again, they're, they're, the Confucius Institutes try to portray China and communism as inherently fair, just and good. And I think that's amazing. I mean, we have corrupt bureaucrats that are elected because the media, who are all indoctrinated by these universities, ignore the rule of law. So you've got you've got the Confucius Institutes talking about how wonderful China is and communism is, and then you've got you've got these corrupt you got these corrupt officials that were indoctrinated in these universities acting in their own self interest. This becomes a, a, a recipe for disaster. I mean, we, we're watching this happen. They're actually cheerleading for the end America ideology, and, and, and basically, and they're 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 Democrats for the most part. But you see some some on the and the fringe there in the in the Republican Party as well, and they're standing out. Like I said, they're standing out like a sore thumb. They can't miss it. But they've ignored the rule of law, and they're ignoring the truth. And so, when you look at Article Two, Section One, Clause Two in the U.S. Constitution, it is written so that there would be there would not be any confusion at all. All the framers insisted that the states make their own election laws, particularly as it relates to the establishment of electors who, ter- who in turn selects the president in the United States. So it's the electors that select the president, and it's the state assemblies that select the electors. And the state assemblies use their elections to determine which state electors they select. Make no mistake on that. So when you have a fraudulent election, and they're looking at these elections being operated outside the rule of law, then they have all the reason in the world and all the motive in the world and all the rationale in the world to pick their own slate of electors. And we need our state assemblies to do this. See, the part that, that part of the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, it's as, it's as sacrosanct as all the, all the rest of the Constitution is. The whole thing is, is, a, is a sacred document that we need to be adhering to. But again, it's all blacked out and ignored by the fake news. The fact that we're counting votes now that were illegal last year, that's crazy, okay? And, I mean, the only thing changed was the 
were the were the edicts that were put out there by the Supreme Courts in the states or the governors or the secretaries of states or election officials like in Michigan. OK, and the, the, the secretary of state, and I should say the uh, the director of elections in Michigan, the election officials there were counting certain ballots that were that were missing witness witness information or something like that. We're missing some addresses of the witnesses or whatever. They were counting ballots that were not legally filled out right. And they were not counting those ballots around the rest of the state. So they were actually creating uh, two sets of voters, sort of like the poll tax did in the Old South. Look, it's, it's so obvious. You can't miss it. You can't miss it, okay? It's like the red shirt on a rack of tan shirts. It's going to pop right out. You see it. It's fraud, folks, plain and simple. Our elections have been hijacked and changed by people that are not, they don't have the nation's best interest in mind. They just, they just don't. It's illegal, and the Supreme Court of the United States right now, so far, has been watching as a bystander, along with some of these Republican lawmakers. I think that's very interesting. But the problem to propaganda fake news and, their, and the outlets and their phony experts, they've done absolutely no reporting, no stories, or any documentaries on this particular part of the Constitution to inform and alert the public. They're not trying to help the public understand what the Constitution says in regards to picking electors. They're just not doing that. Well, why aren't they doing that? Well, we've been saying it here for two years that the propaganda fake news and their fake experts are enemies of the people. Why wouldn't they want the people to know what the truth is? Because the truth means that, well, the truth means that Donald Trump won in a landslide. And they had to cheat to try to change that, to change that outcome. And the evidence of that is Kamala Harris has not yet resigned from her seat in the Senate. Now, I know the governor, Gavin, you know, Gavin Newsom over there, Darth, Darth Gavin in California, Governor Darth Gavin, uh, he uh, he just uh, he's already said that he's going to appoint, I guess, uh, the secretary of state, the California secretary of state or something as the new senator. Padilla, I think his name is, but whatever. He's going to be appointing somebody, but but she hasn't resigned yet. Don't miss that. He She has not resigned yet. Now, they're doing this again as a smokescreen. The fact is she hasn't resigned is because they know they cheated. They know they got caught. They know it. They also know that Joe Biden admitted to fraud, and, and he said it in his little 14-second speech that they created the most involved voter fraud network ever created. In the history of American politics, he said it out of his own mouth. And we caught that as well. But, you know, what I, when, when you see these these old 1950s noir movies, but you also see it sometimes in the newer movies. Every once in a while, they pick up on this. You see crimes that are committed by criminals that have the aid and the support of, well, police commissioners, police officers, police detectives as well as uh, elected judges, maybe, and also elected officials. You see the corruption. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, uh, you can go to a Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. It's a Cagney movie. And in there, you can see what corruption actually looks like, a network of corruption. It's really interesting. But this is what this fraud is all about. I mean, the public is being robbed by corrupt bureaucrats 
and they're illegally rewriting election laws. This is amazing. And the guardians of our rights, the protectors of our Constitution, well, you know, the judges and the elected officials, they're all swore to uphold the Constitution. <laughs> well, they're the criminals breaking the laws and getting away with it. And like I said, this is tantamount to, to inside police corruption, you know, allowing criminals. You have a little crime network where everybody makes a buck out of it. I mean, the job of the Supreme Court of the United States is judicial review. That is their job. So when when laws are passed and signed by the governor and they're challenged in the courts because somebody feels as though their rights were stepped on, the U.S. Supreme Court or the state Supreme Court, their job is to review that to see if their rights were stepped on. They, they only look at politics. They, only look at the, they don't look at the political ends of it. They look at the Constitution. They want to ensure that all the actions taken by these elected policymakers are, in fact, constitutional and legal. That's what they do. But they only look at the cases when they're, when they're appealed to the court. Okay, so when action's not legal as per the written law, in other words, when the rule of law does not apply, the Supreme Court gets in there and applies the rule of law. That's what makes our republic special. Our Supreme Court is what makes our republic special. We have a court that's, whose sole purpose is to ensure that the rule of law is upheld. When they become bystanders and they're no longer ensuring that the rule of law is being upheld, then we become a mob rule nation or a democracy. See, democracy is a mob rule because in majority rules, no matter what you get, and you know, if, if you can convince a few corrupt people to side your way, then you can actually go against the majority because the, the ones that are counting the votes, the ones that are making the laws, the ones that are taking the payoffs are the ones creating the laws and allowing the laws to go through, okay? And whatever those payoffs are, who knows what it is? Who knows? But the corrupt officials are allowing these things to happen. Well, folks, that's a democracy. In a republic, because we're a rule of law country, the Supreme Court can break the back of this real quick. But they've become a bystander here, and this is the, the complete disgrace that we're all looking at. They've utterly failed the people and failed their role of protecting and preserving our Constitution thus far in the game here, just thus far in the action of this 2020 election. That's what we've seen in their inaction. They're in action is they basically fail to perform their judicial review, which is their sole purpose and job. They must ensure that all laws are, in fact, constitutional. So this is what they have to do. I mean, this is what they're there to do. They can't become fans in the stands, okay, and then and they've done that. And again, I, I, I look at this and I just see this as, you know, what's to become of future elections if this kind of goes on? That's the concern uh, that many of us have, that our lawmakers are allowing elections to be not trusted. And when that happens, I mean, because this precedent, I mean, to do whatever you feel like doing because you'll get away with it because the Supreme Court isn't going to rule on it, becomes a real concern. I mean, the president, the precedent that's right now has been established by their turning down the, well, it's appearing this way by their turning down the Texas suit. But when you look at the opinion, it really doesn't say very much there. So I'm not sure there's been a lot of precedent here, but they're in action. Don't miss this. The Supreme Courts of the United States in action is allowing things to continue on until they step up and do the right thing. When they're allowing governors, they're allowing 
you know, Supreme Court justices, secretaries of the state, attorneys general or whatever. They're allowing them to change election laws to suit whatever candidate they're looking to suit. Their ends justify their means for whatever particular scheme they're in that day. I mean, this is anarchy, folks. That's what this is. I mean, unlawful sheriffs, unlawful district attorneys, unlawful police inspectors and unlawful law enforcement officials allowing a burglary of sorts to take place because they're all going to get their cut in the action or whatever. They have an interest in it somewhere. I mean, we got to make sure that elections never become a sort of cage match. And that's kind of like what we're looking at if we don't step in and, and enforce election laws. Election laws are important because they were established correctly. And without election laws, and because you're allowing certain crises like a pandemic or alleged pandemic or this whatever, the, this, the fear, the fear that is promoted by the fear mongers in the Democrat Party, you're allowing them to, to spread this fear to the electorate, to shame them into not wearing masks and to shame them into, their, into the confidence that they may be feeling because they survived a year with this COVID so far. Well, I mean, you're, you're just being shamed right now because, after all, you need to keep wearing your masks and respecting the insanity that's being demonstrated around the, where people are wearing masks in their houses and being told to and they're, they're okay with wearing masks in their cars and while they're jogging, okay, or cutting grass or shoveling snow or whatever. When you don't wear your mask outside, you, you're being shamed by other people. I mean, this is where this comes down to is they start judging people that have confidence that they're not going to get sick because, you know, they've already overcome this. OK, and you've got these people and like you've got these people right now, again, trying to say the darkest days are in front of us. I mean, what, what are they planning for us? What are they trying to create? What fear are they trying to create now? Well, it's already out there. You're seeing, quote unquote, new strains of COVID out there. That's what you're seeing. And they're already servicing. I mean, these people are lying to you. It's unbelievable to me. You've got Americans right now that have survived this virus so far that are now being told, well, don't, don't, <clears throat> don't get too confident. Don't get too happy because you survived it. There's new strains out there. Now, they're going to have to show six, sick people. I don't know how many people are going to be bringing on to this, but I think their plan is to scare people again into thinking that we're all going to die the bubonic plague and uh, then to get everybody afraid and, and to try to shut down the country again. That's what they want to do. I mean, this is scary stuff. And if they can keep people, if they can, if they can somehow create the image that elections are now cage matches where anything goes, I mean, you know, they may discourage a lot of people from voting and that's what their goal is. You know, I've heard talk show hosts, I think Rush made a comment. He thinks that they, they would love to make elections you know, get, get rid of elections altogether. Well, that's one way of getting rid of elections, folks, <clears throat> is to make elections have the appearance that they're irrelevant, that, you know, that, that the election result is always a foregone conclusion because the fix is always in. I mean, if they can give the public that feeling, it's going to be bad for, for this country. And that's what their goal is, to create a sort of uncertainty in the elections and with that they can create an apathy that follows with it and it really becomes just bad bad it goes from bad to worse real quick i mean right what you what we're seeing now is article 2 section 1 clause 2 <clears throat> has been essentially written out of the constitution <clears throat> to suit the democrats and their end america globalist ideology 
And you're seeing intellectuals now on television. You're seeing their fake experts, and everybody's out there trying to downplay the threat. And China's out there because these people are, you know, we're seeing this as well. China's out there doing their thing. Let's shift gears a little bit on China because I, I want to talk a little bit about China as I wrap the show up here. We got a oh, probably another twelve minutes or so. <clears throat> you know, China's manipulated the process of the world, the World Trade Organization, and the World Health Organization, and the UN. They have UN veto power. I mean, this is a nation that can't feed their own people, but that's being overlooked. This is a nation that that literally oppresses free people. They, they, they force their citizens, if you want, their subjects, they force them to get passes to travel around their country. They're restricted on travel. Uh, they're restricted on books they can buy and websites they can go on. All their, all their subjects in, in their country are, they have to buy cell phones. They have to have a cell phone. And the cell phones have their, all their personal information on there. They can't buy groceries without using their cell phone, their cell phones, their cell phones are a way of life for them. The government tracks every one of their subjects, the country's subjects, they track them all through their cell phones. So cell phones are a requirement in China. And uh, I remember it was the Epic Times had reported about, oh, about eight months ago, they reported that there were 20 million fewer cell phones in China after the COVID virus. They were measuring this from the, from, from China's own government information okay they showed there were 20 million fewer cell phones i think they had a pandemic in china unlike anybody i've ever seen i think this was going on in china for quite some time but anyway that's another topic for another day we have china right now with its tentacles in our state and federal governments it's there okay we know this okay and they're all china's also in latin america they're in africa we know now they're in Canada. Uh, they're militarizing the South China, the South China Sea. I mean, they've got killer satellites. We know that they have a massive army, and they have a first-class navy and their second-largest economy in the world. I mean, China is, you know, is a competitor. The communists are not. They're, they're not a. They're not an economic competitor. They're an economic enemy. They they want to sink our economy because you see they understand. What a lot of our listeners here understand, what I understand, but unfortunately many Americans don't understand, is that the strength of an economy determines the strength of a country to protect its interests, to protect its citizens, to protect its way of life and its traditions. In other words, protect it from outside and, of course, domestic and foreign enemies. I mean, that that's... It's the economy empowers that government to protect its people. So you need to have a strong economy. There's never been a civilization on planet Earth that did not have a strong economy. Never has been. A civilization, I should say, that was a big, a big, a big civilization, a successful civilization that's, that survived for a lot of years. When you have civilizations that are swallowed up by other civilizations, which has kind of been the way it is throughout the world, when you look at the, you know, what happened in Central America and, and South America and in this country, the people that were living in this, in these continents, okay, the people that were living here were the, were the Indians at the time, and they, they didn't own land. They just kind of traveled the land. 
I mean, where they were was where they were. They didn't own anything. They didn't. They didn't look at owner. They didn't look at ownership. Their their economy was was simply trade. It was very basic stuff. Their communication was very basic, and they were, uh, you know, they were just pocketed in different areas. They weren't. They weren't organized. I mean, when you look at what, and so obviously when the Europeans came over here, the Europeans brought over with them, and the Spaniards brought over with them. You know the the civilization which basically became the more dominant civilization, and that's why they became the dominant civilization, and that's why they've been uh, they are where they are today, and and that's where you know all the people that live in these countries are now citizens of that country, because the civilizations have made them that. Okay, but when you look at um, you know what's been going on ar- around the world, and you see this, and, and you look at what China's doing, China's basically trying to use this to they're they're the globalists influence intellectuals in these countries. And the intellectuals, again, are the people that don't have any interest in nation standing at all. They have no loyalty to anybody but themselves. And that's what makes them what they are. So China basically, you know, has, has been infiltrating all along. And when you look at the laptop, and what's on the laptop? And I'm going to wrap this show up with the laptop. We got a few more minutes to go, so I want to talk about this laptop and the Chinese spies and whatnot. But the laptop that we're talking about was a Hunter Biden laptop. He took his he took his laptop into a computer repair shop for repair, failed to pick it up, and failed to pay his bill. And so when they didn't come and get it, uh, the laptop, the, the computer store owner called the FBI. The FBI came and got it. And because the person, it fell into the hands of somebody that did not want this information out there. They didn't want Joe Biden's information out there that show where maybe the Biden family had been possibly compromised with this laptop. I mean, what's really on this laptop? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of detailed information on this laptop. We have information of wire transfers. We have information of signed term sheets and information on signed engagement letters. We have Information on signed joint venture agreements with the worst of the worst of the worst of the Communist Party and intelligence and their assets. I mean, we have fake companies that are actually front organizations for influence peddling for the Chinese communists. That's what's on this laptop. That's what I understand. And I've seen reported that is on this laptop. And now this is in the hands of the Justice Department. And, uh, you know, basically where it goes from here, I, I, I'm not sure, but I know there's, a, there's investigations that have spawned up from this. But, but the way they handle this in the Chinese, it's really interesting, is they convince people that, look, we are truly, we want to be the global leader of peace and we want to be the great visionary that are going to, you know, lift our people out of poverty. Okay. I mean, this is what they are. They want to portray themselves as. And by the way, to the elitists, they say, uh, you can support us in this and we can support you, too. And you and your families and your, your, you know, you guys can all make a lot of money, too. We're all making a lot of money. But once these America first policies come in, that's going to change these supply lines. It's going to force us into positions to where, you know, you're not going to be making the same money. Okay. And so they, they have trouble with this. And this all came out in Davos. And if you watched the Davos speeches and you watched Trump's speech, I thought it was interesting because Trump actually educated 
these world leaders, these globalists, on how their their own interests for their own countries would benefit their people and in the long run benefit them as well. Invest in your country, invest in your culture, invest in your traditions for your people. You know, there, there's no such thing as a global citizen, okay? We're citizens of a country. And you hear these globalists say, well, citizens of the world. Well, I don't know where they get that from other than some, you know, some, some stuff shirt, fifth dimensional, you know, person coming out telling them, you know, let's elevate you and, and take you out of the real world here and bring you into the land of unlimited imagination. That's what they're doing. We're citizens of the world. I mean, they're not. Look, I mean, yeah, we're all citizens of planet Earth, but we're citizens of a country or subjects of a country, depending on what country you live in. But I mean, Xi was he was hailed as a global leader. I mean, this is what he was. I mean, China has so many human rights problems and, and abuses. It's not even funny. And these globalists all overlook it. The globalists all overlook the fact that China imprisons millions, millions of people for their for their religious for the religious faith. Look what they're doing to the Muslim Uyghurs, the Uyghurs, the Muslim Uyghurs. They're imprisoning Christians as well. Okay? They have re-education centers. They have neighbors spying on neighbors for the state to punish them for something. I mean, look at the fact that the parents have absolutely no parental rights whatsoever. I mean, when, you, when they take their kids to school, the parents can't go in there and have any objections to anything that's being taught to their kids. Because the state determines what's being taught to the kids, not the parents. That's the way it is in China, folks. There is no parental rights. I mean, you may love your children. That's okay. That's acceptable. And you can feed them. That's okay. That's acceptable. But we're going to educate them and you don't have a say in it. That's what the communist state says. I mean, trust me. I mean, what they're doing in Hong Kong is suppressing the swallowing up the free people there into an oppressive regime. That's the rigged elections, the censorship, no habeas corpus. I mean, Again, I mean, this is what you have in China, and then not to mention the fact they have forced labor or safe slave labor, and they have absolutely no no freedom rights to travel within the country without a pass. China has control over their population. It's the same as simple as that. And these globalists overlook all that when they're trading with them, and I think that's the shame of it all. That's the shame of it all. Well, folks, we have to leave it there. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for being with us today. It's it's so, I mean, we're so thankful to have you with us today and have you with us at this time uh, on this station because it truly is. I mean, we you have made this show a wonderful addition to our our, our weekend every week that you're here, every weekend that we're here and you tune in. We appreciate it. But I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, folks. May this Christmas be wreathed in joy for you and your family. This is a time to remember the past and express the hope in the future. Folks, we celebrate the Son of God and how the Son of God became the Son of Man. That wonderful truth, folks. We celebrate that. Experience the wonder and truly enjoy all the blessings from God this Christmas season. And seek God for your salvation for eternity, folks. It's there. It's it's a gift for you to take. So check it out. Thanks again for all of you being with us today. See you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.